What's another thing? What's marriage, riding a bike, uh, lending money, and giving your daughter's hand in marriage all require? Trust. See, you got it. You got it. See, it wasn't that big a trick question. Trust. Trust. (laughs) Trust. It requires that. And uh, I want to speak about trust today. Because the need to exercise it is inescapable. When it comes to being human, it's an inescapable part of our life experience. You can't have a healthy relationship without it on any level. And yet, virtually all of us can bring to mind a scenario where our trust has been broken. When it comes to trust, if you think about it, we use it all the time. We expect it, we give it, we are given it. And yet in spite of its significance and the intrinsic nature of trust, to human transaction, we often don't give it a thought. We don't necessarily understand it. I think that we tend to think it's a feeling. Uh, you know, we even say, I feel like I could trust that person. Uh, we tend to think it's, it's either a given or it's a privilege, and it is a privilege. And it's so critical to what has been our theme all year, better together. This element of trust. And learning how to trust again after being disappointed, after trust is broken, is such a critical part of a healthy life journey. I don't know whether you've probably, and we probably all have met someone who's just shut down in a certain way because of a trust betrayal. It's somehow... They've shut down and it's interesting when people try and shut down over something like that, they tend to think or we tend to think that we can shut down just in one area and it won't affect anything else. But the fact is that when we tend to shut down trust in one area, it tends to affect our whole experience of every area. It tends to overflow. So I think learning how to trust again is a critical part of a healthy life journey. But again, understanding trust is not so easy. And there's plenty of definitions of it, but what I'd rather do today is look at some things, some commitments we could make, some things we could develop in our life that will in a really practical way help us to trust well and therefore build deeper relationships or possibly even rebuild trust where trust has been broken. I want to encourage you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because someone lets you down doesn't mean everyone will let you down. Although, being human nature, I think being let down is just going to be part of the journey. Is that okay? Maybe we'd be better off just saying, I'm not going to be so shocked by it because I'm human too. And, uh, and as I looked at this this week, I even thought, man, I wish I did some of this stuff so much better than I do. And I think that's going to be all of us today. So who would like a quick practical pastoral lesson on how to develop trust, how to repair trust, how to establish trust, how to move in trust? Because it is a phenomenal 
commodity for the human race. Here's some, here's some thoughts, here's some things you can do to build or rebuild trust. Here's some commitments that we can make. When there is a gap between expectation and experience, I will believe the best. This is a great commitment to make. So when there's a gap between expectation and my actual experience, in other words, my expectation's here, but what I'm experiencing is here, I will choose to believe the best. Where there is disappointment, you can measure disappointment by the gap between expectation and experience. But when I see that, we all have a question. When we experience that, whether we will experience that That is non-negotiable. We all will. However, what we choose to put in the gap is totally our choice. And what I'm suggesting is to build trust or rebuild trust, you have an option there to actually believe the best, to insert confidence or to insert trust in the gap rather than to insert you know, disappointment or conspiracy or all the other things, offence, all the other things that we are tempted. I, I, for myself, I just am thoroughly convinced that the enemy of our soul, Satan, literally, if you want to talk about the devil, here's where it gets real. He loves to fill gaps. And he loves to fill gaps like this. He likes to drive a wedge in where there's been a difference between expectation and experience. There is a gap where a wedge can be driven in to push people even further apart. And we have a choice what we're going to put in the gap. So when there's a gap between experience and expectation or expectation experience, I will believe the best. I won't let conspiracy. I won't let suspicion. I wonder why they did that. I wonder where they are. I wonder why they didn't do that. I wonder why they're so late. I reckon it's because, no, don't go there. Don't go there. And yet it's interesting, I think in our humanity, we love to fill in the blanks. We love to fill the gap. And I tell you, the devil loves to sit on your shoulder and help you fill in the gap too. Questioning motives to me, I think, when we don't know, when the jury's still out, it's like a flag that gets Satan's attention. And so what I'm talking about here, if I'm going to choose to believe where there's a gap, I'm talking about actually filling the cracks where other stuff can get in really sad when people end up out of sorts with people that they're so close to over things that are often proven over time to be really minor issues. Uh, As I said, I think he loves, the devil loves to fill gaps, but this is how you can fill the cracks in your life and stop infection getting in. Refuse to assign negatives to someone's character, unless of course it's proven But we can assign negatives really quickly if we're not careful. And then the problem is they become a filter. The moment we do that, the moment I think they only did that because. Whether we're right or not, 
come on, who catches himself thinking these things. I reckon they only did that because the moment we assign a negative, that becomes, becomes a filter through which we see everything else they do. And I guarantee you, if you get a negative filter on like that, then everything that they do is going to confirm your worst fears. It's like putting a a pair of tinted glasses on. You know, you get those safety glasses that are like yellow tint. You put them on, everything's yellow. Everyone's yellow. Every wall's sort of got a yellow tint. Is that true? No, it's the filter you're looking through. And in exactly the same way, if you allow distrust in, Everything that someone does will only confirm the distrust that you fear or that the issue that you fear. So I'm encouraging you, unless it's proven, then don't assign negatives to someone's character. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, 14. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some, uh, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And uh, sorry, I've cut out a verse there somehow in my cutting and pasting. Because Jesus said, of course, who do you say I am? So you've got this scenario where it's like, everyone's talking about Jesus. Everyone's got an opinion and I you know we we knock Peter for all the foibles that Peter has all the crazy things that Peter does but at the end of the day he took the highest view possible of who Jesus was now you can say well that's easy because it was Jesus yes I know and I'm going to wrestle a bit of scripture out of context today but I'm just illustrating I'm not trying to preach a doctrine I'm trying to illustrate it Peter took the highest view it was like well some are saying this and some are saying that you could come in here just a prophet Peter says you're the son of the living God you are the Messiah and comes in his, his opinion is on the highest level and then the next thing Jesus says to him is blessed are you Simon and again wrestling scripture a little bit out of context uh Jesus could have been saying, blessed are you for taking the high road, Simon, with this. You could just fall in with the crowd and form an opinion based on what everyone else does, but you know me and you've taken the high road with this. We know he wasn't talking about character and other things, but I think that you can see a reflection of taking the high road in Peter's response. So how do you build trust? Well, when there's a gap between expectation and experience, I will believe the best. You okay? Here's another thought. When others assume the worst, I will come to your defence. Man, this is a tough one, isn't it? This is a tough one. When we're faced with making choices and we're hearing stories it could be about someone's Christian character it could be about their life choices whatever it is John chapter 18 verse 10 again Peter says then Simon Peter who had a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant cutting off his ear off his right ear now this is a passage from the garden where Jesus is arrested and again we often even laugh at Peter for doing this But the thing that I find interesting is that 
you know, Peter was determined to defend Jesus no matter what. Now, in the parallel passage to this in Luke, Jesus actually says, have you come out to arrest me with swords and clubs like I'm a criminal? That was the scenario. And you've got to remember, the disciples still hadn't really made up their mind. They were still hoping Jesus would be an earthly king. And their society around them has begun to treat, and this is where it all comes to the point, they're going to treat Jesus, they are treating him like a criminal. And as much as we could say, oh, Peter, for goodness sake, the rash Peter, always opening his mouth or drawing his sword, well, at least he stood up for the guy. Again, I'm wrestling it out of context, but... But I wonder whether we can do that when we're faced with opinions and peer pressure about someone who's not in the room, whether we're actually able to take the high road and say, you know what, when others assume the worst, I will come to your defence. It's how you build trust. When the jury is out on someone, I'm not saying someone who's proven to be poor character. I'm saying when the jury is out, I will assume the best. I won't join the gossip train. I won't join the conspiracy train. Well, they're only doing that because, once again, when others assume the worst, I will come to your defence. Who would like a friend like that? Who would like someone in their world like that? When others assume the worst, they always assume the best. Man, you are blessed if you have someone in your world like that. What a blessing it would be to be that someone in someone else's world. How to build trust. Does this make sense? How to build trust. Here's another one, because you might be just saying right now after saying that, uh, look, if you've been hurt, if you've experienced betrayal, then no way! I'm just going to assume the best. Well, here's some balance. You know, that might seem like blind trust, but it's not blind trust because it balances out with the next couple of things I'm going to tell you. If what I experience erodes my trust, I will come directly to you. What a great commitment to make. If what I experience, if there is a gap, and the gap's undeniable, what I'm experiencing from what I expected is big and it's there all the time, then I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to talk to someone else about it. I'm going to come to you. Can you see how this just is very simple, but it actually guards our relationships from stuff going hell west and crooked. And and I'm just assuming all of you can uh, imagine scenarios where this didn't happen and things went west. So this means it's not blind trust. I'll come to you if, uh, if I've got a problem. It means your trust is actually substantiated. It's grounded. It's practical. Your trust isn't just blind faith in someone. It's actually love with boots on. That's what this is. Matthew 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 23 to 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And so I guess the whole thought, again, using that scripture to illustrate, 
If you look at it, Jesus is saying, I consider your connection more important than worship. I've come to worship God. Well, no, forget it. God's saying, it's okay, you don't have to. I'd rather see you fix it with your brother. I'd rather see you fix it with your sister. And then go worship. But no point, you know, worshipping a God you can't see when you hate someone made in the image of God you can see. And so there's this, uh, I think there's permission. And I think that's, that's it personified. Man, if, if you do have a problem, then I need to go fix this before I do anything else. If, if my experience is letting me down, then I'm not going to let this build. I'm not going to let this grow in the dark. I'm not going to let this have language assigned to it. I'm not going to roll this over in my mind any longer. I need to go and talk to this person and we need to talk about the experience I'm having because maybe I'm just seeing this wrong. And of course, how you go to that person is of utmost importance. That's what's going to totally change the deal. You have to go neutral. You have to go indifferent. If you've already made up your mind. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, have, you, have you worked out yet, if you've been following God for a while and you actually, you really do believe in prayer and getting direction and the will of God, that... If you really want something, it's really hard to pray about it and not get God saying yes. You want a new car, you want a new whatever, a new phone or a new this or a new pair of shoes or, and you try and be led by God. If you've decided you want it, it's really hard to hear from God at that point. Because when you pray, it just seems like God's saying yes. <laughs> and the only way you can really hear from God is to go indifferent. And I think it's exactly the same to hear from one another. The only way you can really hear someone is to go indifferent. Is to go saying, my mind's not made up. But I hope to be convinced today. So if my experience isn't what it should be, there's a gap between my expectation of who you are and what I'm experiencing of you, then, then I'm going to come totally indifferent, ready to be convinced. Does that make sense? Can anyone see how that could help build trust in a relationship? It's the way you come. Innocent unless proven guilty. If what I experience erodes my trust, I will come directly to you. Here's one for us to do. How we get proactive. If I'm going to create a gap I'll tell you ahead of time. If I'm going to, if I know I'm going to disappoint you, that's what I'm saying. If I know that this could be disappointing to you, um, then I'll tell you ahead of time. What an incredible commitment to make. Often we don't think of it in time. But if I know I'm going to be disappointing, then I'm going to let you do it. Jesus did it all the time, all the time. Luke chapter 24, verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now, I just said, remember the disciples at this point, they still want Jesus to be like an earthly king. They still haven't actually got what he's about. And he's telling them, 
this again and again. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and will at their hands suffer many things. He said it again and again and again to them and yet they still didn't get it. When it happened, they were still shocked. Because they'd already seen the end of the story in their own minds. They'd already painted the story the way they wanted to see it. And so when it didn't turn out the way they expected, it turned their worlds upside down. But you, you couldn't blame Jesus for not letting them know. And, and I think it's often the same. Have you ever been shocked when someone reacted a particular way, even though you told them this is what was going to happen? This is what's going to go down. And then it goes down and it's like, and they're shocked, upset, maybe offended with you. And it's like, I told you. And, and I think it's because we struggle with the same thing. We do what the disciples do. We, we fill in the blanks. We paint the end of the story. That's how we want it to look. That's what's best for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when something different to that happens, disappointment can come in. Yeah. Now, now, you could be tempted to say with this, well, look, I just reckon they should know me well enough by now. Anyone? You're all so quiet, like this isn't the world you live in. Is this too obscure? Is this too penetratingly honest? Um, you know, they should just, they should know me by now. I'm not going to explain myself. I shouldn't have to explain myself. Come on, who's ever thought that? Um, well, the fact is, look, if it's, a, if it's an intimate relationship, if it's a, 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 a relationship that you value then doesn't giving someone a heads up on how you might disappoint them, doesn't that actually reflect that you respect the relationship and respect the person, that you value the relationship? So could I just encourage you, Jesus did it all the time, even though it was ignored. And you might say, well, they wouldn't even hear. Well, that's true, but Jesus still did it because it builds trust. And later on, when all the pieces of the jigsaw started to fit, it made them follow him literally to the gates of hell. It made yeah. them follow him to death for most of them yeah. because they realised I can trust him. Even though I didn't have the whole picture on the other side of these circumstances, I know that I can trust him. If I'm going to create a gap, I'll tell you ahead of time. One more? Got time for one more? You doing okay? Is it practical? This is, this is one of those Monday messages. You know what I mean? Pre- we've had three Sunday messages in a row, if you haven't noticed. The spiritual ones. And now we've got a very practical one. This is what we do Monday. Okay, last, last thought is, if you ask, I'll tell you the truth. If you ask, man, this is hard. This is so hard. I was so convicted by this thought but you know Jesus is recorded as saying I tell you the truth 78 times in the gospels now their gospel is counts same story different writer but but literally the Holy Spirit if you believe that the Holy the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and we do then the Holy Spirit chose to insert it in four books 78 times 
I tell you the truth. And he wasn't saying like, well, when I don't say that, I'm probably not. It's not like he was saying, now I've been lying to you all along. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. What he was saying, he was being very deliberate and very intentional in engaging them and going, you can take this to the bank. And, And I wonder sometimes how good are we at doing that with people? Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says, Let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Wow. So he's actually saying, um, if you complicate it, if you can't just be pretty straight and honest, then maybe the devil can put words in your mouth. I think what he's saying is don't let the devil... Put words in your mouth. Just be really honest and be upfront. Now, I'm not saying don't do it with love, and that's a section, that's, a, that's another whole message. But I think this is one of the things that we struggle with the most. I know, uh, funnily enough, when you go to other cultures, and often the culture of politeness in another culture actually means that people can't say no. You know, so can you pick me up at eight in the morning from the motel? Yes. You know, good luck if you see them before 10. Because they can't. They can't get the connecting train. They can't do this. They can't get whatever. They know they can't, but their culture says that it's rude to say no. And so they say yes, but generally with a little nuance of some kind that if you're not in that culture, you don't read it. So as an Aussie, they just said yes. So I expect you to be there, Jason, at the movies on time. And, <laughs> and, uh, and yet, because of the cultural thing, you know, they're, they're not lying to you. But the cultural thing says, I would rather explain for the next three days why your interpreter didn't get there to that meeting than to actually have to say no to you. Now, that's just a cultural thing, but that is so frustrating. But I tend to think we tend to do that. And it's not even a cultural thing for us. It's an inability to face the music. It's like an inability to actually just be open in our relationships, where we have to actually say, no, I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. No, I won't be there. I won't be at the party. Sorry been to four this month I'm we're staying home but we struggle I'll be there if I can and there becomes a gap between expectation and experience that the devil loves to fill and push people apart and bring distrust in yet it can be so simple so simple to build trust so simple to maintain it And just being able to say, well, you know, if you ask, I'll tell you. I'm not saying walk around telling people the truth about what you think about them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if someone asks you for the truth, then tell them the truth. If you ask, I'll tell you the truth. So here's some thoughts for us in applying the message. What's my first response when I'm let down by someone and I'm not sure of the circumstance? What's my first response when I'm let down but I'm not sure of the circumstances but it's been a letdown? You know, do I only focus on my loss and immediately question their motive? 
or do I reserve judgment till I have all the facts? Just a thought. Another question. When I hear a negative report about someone I know, do I question the motive of the person being discussed or of the people doing the discussing? That's a really convicting one, hey? Um, You know, I, I think one of the most helpful and simple definitions of gossip is if I'm not part of the problem and I'm not part of the solution, then why am I talking about it? That's really convicting. Uh, you, you could maybe ask that of people who are talking about someone in your world. If they're not part of the problem and they're not part of the solution, why are they talking about it? If you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution for that particular situation, then why are you listening? Because ultimately it's just gossip at that point. And so when, when I hear a negative report about someone I know... Do I question the motive of the person being discussed or the people doing the discussing? You ready for another couple? When someone's behaviour or decisions concern me, are they the first person I talk to about it? When someone's behaviour or decisions concern me, are they the first person I talk to about it? Am I able to be truthful and kind at the same time? Am I able to be truthful and kind? When someone wants to know what you think of them or of their actions or or of a decision, are you able to be truthful and kind at the same time? Or, or, Or are you tempted to water it down, to craft your response toward what they want to hear Do you ever walk away from an opportunity to have a straight conversation kicking yourself that you didn't say what you knew you should? Have you ever told your spouse or a friend about a conversation that you had and and they scold you because you didn't say what you tell them all the time? These are indicators of how good we are at truth-telling, at being able to say, look, you know... Okay, you've asked, since you've asked, I've got to tell you the truth. I've got to tell you how this makes me feel. I've got to tell you what I thought of that decision. If you're, remember you asked me, maybe you have to say that first. Remember you asked me? But I've got to tell you, because generally people don't ask you unless they sense that you're not quite on the same page. Is that true? Yeah. Last question, and it's one that we might need to think about just for a minute. But if all these things that we've just talked about, if if that's how you build trust, then what is going on inside of me if I am distrusting? What's going on inside of me? What can I do to get to a point of trust? Do I need to have the tough conversation? Do I need to be that truth teller? Do do I maybe just need to give someone the benefit of the doubt because the jury's out? And who am I to be? judge, jury and executioner on their character what's going on inside of me that I'm at a place of distrust and how do I get out of that you know trust is it's such a liberating thing such a freeing thing I, I, I don't know about you but whenever I come across someone and, and their trust has been wounded 
It has closed them down. And then when I see someone get to a point where they forgive, they release, they move on, they, in wisdom, might build boundaries around what hurt them previously. That's a good thing. But they actually come back to a point of, I won't live this way. I won't live shut down. I won't live negative or cynical or concerned about what might happen next. I've got to live free. It's actually liberating. You actually get set free to live. You get set free to build deeper relationships because goodness knows you can't build a deep relationship with someone who's, who's nursing those kind of bruises. It's very, very hard to do. So trust is liberating. It's freeing. It's necessary. It's empowering. Building trust adds momentum to life and to relationships. It creates community where others can flourish better together better together so I just wonder as we pray I just wonder what you know what's one thing that you maybe just need to make a commitment towards just one of those things where it's like that spoke to me that particular I hope you wrote it down if it did but that particular thought that particular thought man that spoke to me that's that's what I need to do that's what I need to do to build trust experience the freedom it brings. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Man, you know, it's always a scary thing to talk about that, that kind of message, because you know it's going to be tested. You know it's going to be tested. It's probably a scary thing for you to hear it, because you know it's going to be tested. But could we just commit ourselves to developing trust? You know, and uh, and on the way to doing that, you you work out which boundaries you need to put in place to live safe. But we've got to we've got to make a commitment towards trust. Ultimately, this is following God's all about. I do think people struggle to follow God because of things that have happened just between humans, because it, um, it it erodes trust. And so it's a really deep-seated spiritual issue. Father, I just thank you for every heart, every life here. And uh, we're all humans. We all live in the human race. We've all experienced other human beings at their best and probably at their worst too. So help us to navigate it, Lord. Help us to build our lives with trust and confidence and security. Help us do well. Help us deepen our relationships, strengthen our relationships and experience the incredible freedom that trust brings to our heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just in the closing moments of this service, you know, you could be here and maybe you've never got to the point of actually trusting God with your life. You know, you've always had questions maybe on His character or things that you've seen. And and often people's concerns are over people. They're not actually over God, but over people and human brokenness and I guess really all I can say to that is welcome to the human race it's always been that way and it's probably going to be that way for quite a while yet but you know today I've I've talked about trust and that need to trust and one of the biggest steps you can make even if you can't trust people is to trust a God who loves you Uh, he's got what's best for you in store that's what's in his mind He wants to bring healing to your heart, life to your spirit. 
and you might be here today and it's like, well, Chris, I, I think I'm at a point where I could, I really could trust God with my life for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. I could really open up and just trust God with my future. And if that's you, if you're here, we're going to pray a very simple prayer in a few moments' time. It's going to come up on the screen. It's, it's just a simple prayer of commitment and surrender to Jesus. It's a prayer of trust. And, uh, and, you know, if you're ready to begin with God, start your trust journey there, then I encourage you to, to make this prayer your own. Just before we pray it together, while every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if that's you, and you'd say, Pastor Chris, that's, that's where I'm at. That's what I need. I need to move out of distrust. I need to, to begin moving towards trust, deepening relationships. And the first one I want to start with is God trusting him would you just raise your hand right where you are if that's you it's like, that's where I'm at that's what I need I need to trust him I'm not going to prolong it just give it a moment but you just might be on the journey we always give everyone the opportunity to make that step towards God a clear step towards God this morning and trusting him you can trust him he loves you he loves you he's got you in this place today hear a message about trust maybe to bring some healing and bring some release to areas of your life just going to look across one more time if that's you fantastic let's pray this prayer together dear Jesus I believe in you thank you for forgiving me come into my life and I'll follow you amen amen how's that from Monday message yeah very good that's Monday that's Monday. I love Sunday messages. But hey, we've got to live out there and do it well. So let's determine to develop trust.